Hey everyone, and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk about things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 244, we're discussing a retrospective of V for Vendetta and The Mandalorian Chapter 10. I'm on your host, Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Carlos. And I'm Sanjay. Sanjay, it is great to have you back in the seat. Carlos, Troy, always a pleasure. And guys, we've got a very special episode this week. A bit of a divergence from your regular scheduled programming as there's not a whole bunch of nerd news out there this week. So we thought we'd take the opportunity. You know, Sanjay threw this out into the DM and given the the current environment that we are living in and just clicking over November the 5th, we felt it was appropriate to maybe revisit V for Vendetta, the 2006 dystopian political action thriller to talk about how it holds up today and how maybe it, it relates more so than ever to the modern political climate that our friends to the South in particular are living in. And we're going to d- dive right into that for the majority of the episode, actually. We're going to do our weekend nerd. And then Sanjay is going to lead us through this retrospective discussion of V for Vendetta. But before we That's get to that, mistake. you take me one, you give me one little bit of power. I take a mile. Give me an inch and I take a mile. I'm sorry. And all of a sudden you're the chancellor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Sanjay, I must ask you a question. Okay. Yeah. I like what you're doing there. Where have you been for the last two weeks? <laughs> you know, I've been here or there. I've been, you know, I was um, filming a movie. Yeah. I was filming a movie. Um, Does you that know. mustache have anything to do with the type of movie? <laughs> Yeah, it's film. a European art house film. It's very classy. I'm coming from a very classy man. So, <laughs> guys, we're going to kick this one off. We're going to jump right into it because we do want to give quite a bit of time in this retrospective. So, Sanjay, why don't you kick it off this week with our Weekend Nerd, keeping in All mind right. that if we want to have that time, we're going to kind of keep this slim and trim, that five minutes or so per person to discuss our weekend nerd talk about them figs those comics and what we've been up to and then we're going to sneak in just a little bit of discussion of course on the mandalorian chapter 10 the passenger you know a true dip into that episodic nature of the mandalorian a growth and expansion of this series as we walk through the first episode and into what is the second episode chapter 10 of the mandalorian season two but sunjay man take it away well, that's a lot of pressure. I only got five minutes. Man, I normally don't last that long. So five minutes. What are we going to talk about in this week in Nerd? Um, well, you know, partly to um, go off of why we're reviewing V for Vendetta, I recently picked up the 4K of that. So they had a re-release of V for Vendetta. So I picked that up. Man, it's it's a beautiful release. Like the slip cover there looks amazing. I, you could check my Twitter. I posted up some nice pictures there. And um, to be honest with you, I've started getting back into reading comics. So um, it had been a minute. So I'm up to Batman 100. You know, I kind of really dug it. Um, I thought it was really dark, um, the stuff involving. um, I don't know if I can spoil it or not, but I'll just say it was really dark. Um, Reading some Wonder Woman and uh, reading Philadelphia Grabs, you know, he was right when he was like, hey, Sanji, I think you'll really like this uh, little comic named Philadelphia. And gotta hand it to grabbers he was right and i'm loving it um so yeah that's it and um you know with halloween over now it's switching to christmas so now i'll be watching some christmas movies to prepare 
um, for the Christmas season. So, you know, going to bust out maybe, you know, Krampus or Silent Night, Deadly Night, maybe Home Alone, oh, maybe I Home heard. Alone 2, Lost in New York, um, Love Actually. Iron I Man heard 3. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Which one? <laughs> Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3, yeah. Um, Troy's favorite Shazam. It's a Christmas film. <laughs> Batman Returns. Batman, Batman Returns, Returns is go. a Christmas film. Yeah. Um, so maybe Die Hard. Is that a Christmas film? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. People say, yeah. It's Gremlins. Is that a Christmas film? The first one. Yeah, for yeah, sure. First yeah. One. yeah, man. So I'm, you know, let me know what are your Christmas or holiday film traditions that you guys watch. Blast them up on Twitter. Let me know. If every year you guys have a tradition where you're like, okay, I got to watch, I don't know, whatever it is. Let me know what it is. And it doesn't even have to be a Christmas film. Maybe you have a Christmas tradition where you watch a film that isn't Christmas related every year this time of year. But uh, yeah, let me know. Um, hopefully that was shorter than five minutes. I know if it goes over, Tim's going to cut my mic. So <laughs> I have to. <laughs> hey, I'm, not, I'm not that producer. I just had to remind you because to be honest he's with gonna you. He's going to start we... playing the Oscar music and he's yeah. going to be like, wrap it up, <laughs> Sanjay. Get out of here. Because to be honest with you, we did, we did have quite a bit of debate and discussion on whether or not we do the retrospective this week. And it, it ended up being into the chancellor's hands there, and he decided to pull the trigger on it. And I think ultimately it was a good decision. You know, we exercised our democratic rights inside of the DM, and we found ourselves with a bit of a split vote here. And uh, it was quite funny because, uh, as Carlos, you know, aptly pointed out, we did two different votes <laughs> between the four of us, with the tiebreaker going to Sunny. And so that's why we're we're doing the V for Vendetta this week, which I think is a really really good choice. Actually, it's uh, it's very fitting that we are doing this but uh sanjay thanks thanks for taking us through your uh your couple weeks in nerd and i'm excited getting back into comics december is my my line in the sand for getting him back to comics in a big way but troy man sanjay's yeah. left you an extra couple minutes here and oh, no. uh i know you got a big long list to get through <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll chop it down I'll chop it down man yeah um well you know with the comics um i'm all caught up now with amazing spider-man nick spencer's run and I gotta say, it took him fifty-one issues, and I'm there now. I'm uh, I'm starting <laughs> to enjoy Spider-Man. It's it's a cool ride. Um, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but there's a big reveal, and I really like a certain person that they brought into the fold. So uh, I'm on board with that. Um, X-Men. I'm all caught up to the uh, the tournament of X of Swords is basically really starting to uh, kick off. And yeah, man, and that last issue, yeah, that last issue, man. That was dinner good. time. Dinner oh, time. That was good, man. Wolverine. You know, all I'm gonna say is Wolverine's a bad, bad man. I, I just, <laughs> I can't wait to go through this whole what 22 chapter uh, saga. Um, you know, held by uh, Jonathan Hickman. So that's been fantastic. I still haven't checked out Batman 101. I think that's with Ghost something, Ghost Killer or Oh, yeah. Clown Killer. No, not no. Clown Killer. The Ghost. The other. Like, there's another character that was introduced in that. Oh, yeah okay. it's just yeah. like a one-off oh, oh yeah yeah i saw like the little like uh what's it called not the prelude but the epi epilogue epilogue is that it the epilogue comes at the end sure it yeah. makes sense yeah 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 no yeah so um yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna check that one out next um figures figures man today was the day man me and carlos are going back and forth um i was in walmart and i found i found a, a nice haul man i found um Jean-Paul Valley's Batman, Azrael Batman, uh, the McFarlane line. I, I put it down. I walked away. And then I crossed my fingers and I told Carlos, you know, what? I'm going to EB next. Let's go, man. Let's let's see what I'm going to get up to. And uh, EB was lit. 
EB had everything going on, man. <laughs> it was crazy. It was it was the season of McFarlane. They had uh, the Flash McFarlane toy, which I've been uh, after with all the effects. It's it looks like a cool speedster, man. I really want to add a good Flash to my collection, so got my hands on him. Um, also, Batman. I guess it's like it's like the end of the New Fifty Two saga costume, but it's in the Rebirth launch as well with DC's Metal. I believe I'm always yeah. familiar with this Batman from uh, the all-star Batman, basically when it's uh, my boy, John Romano jr. But this is the great <laughs> version, uh, which, you know, I, I love Capullo, man. It looks great. And this figure is cool. It's um does some really interesting things with articulation stuff that I've never seen on any figure before. Um, I can't wait to just pose this guy up, but um, the man, the winner for me is venom. Venom, not the movie, but the movie figure, Venom. <laughs> um, Marvel Legends, these guys, man, it's crazy. This thing's probably about seven inches. It, it's Huge. like a select size, but um, it scales well, obviously, with the Marvel Legends. And I just can't wait to pose this thing up. But it comes with two swappable heads, one with the big, long tongue, the other one without the tongue, but the teeth. Uh, open fist, closed fist. And uh, this this thing's just really, really cool, man. So um, that's been my week in what's, Nerd. What's that? What's that? That venom a deluxe price or is it a normal? No, this price? this guy I found him for twenty nine ninety nine. Oh, right yeah. on. He's yeah. the most expensive one, and then the other figures. Um, so venom was twenty nine ninety nine. Flash was twenty six bucks with the edge card. If you're an EB Games member, yeah. The most expensive one actually was the Batman. He was in a bigger box, and he was thirty one ninety nine, which is still like you know a couple bucks more than a Marvel Legends. But he came with two beefy Build-A-Figure arms for that wave. So, yeah, That's man. Awesome. That's Can't awesome. Complain. Can't complain. Oh, man, this is like Future State. You're, you have pulled ahead of me with the Marvel Legends. Like, the <laughs> the new Batman is already taking flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, you know what it is. Yes, sir. Oh, that's that's brilliant, man. I love the the weekly hunts on on the figure side for you. Is it like Craven the Hunter coming through once again, man? Like, I guess I got to leave my house to actually find stuff. <laughs> but but ultimately, we got to zip over here to Carlos, man. After that heart stopping story last week, you know, we had tons of comments, people saying just like people had to pull over, people were gasping as you're telling the story. And I think we felt the same way as you're telling it. Like my gaps online, gasps online were were real like and, and like our reactions that was raw for us too and it, it feels like it sounds like a lot of people had similar reactions so man i hope your your week was a, a little bit more stable yeah a little week. uh a little less uh, heart stopping maybe a little more heartwarming but uh yeah you know uh so like our family instead of giving presents between like the adult siblings and stuff like that um we adopt a couple of families um who are kind of in need or whatever, but like with the breakdown of the one family, there's like an eight year old kid who's like, I'll take anything Marvel superheroes. That's, that's what he likes. And so we like got him kind of the necessities like winter jacket and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, the missus lit him up with like some Spidey Lego and some mm. Spidey gear. Beautiful. I was like, okay, well that's cool. And like, everything's kind of chopped down to like X amount of dollars per kid. So we, got them all sorted out and got them loaded up with our boy Peter Parker, little yeah. Miles Morales action. He was good to go. And I was like, well, I just uh, can't let this, can't let this sit because uh, I'm the goddamn Batman. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> added, added in some Lego Batman action. Nice. And uh, got him like this 
Shazam figure that like moves and talks and stuff. And then I was like, you know what? My boy Sonny hooked me up with uh, a couple different special edition versions of Shazam. So I pulled the DVD copy out of the one like on the list of the amenities that the family has. It said that they had the DVD player. So I was like, you know what? I'll break up this set, and if this thing is loved as opposed to sitting on my shelf, that's awesome. So made him a little case and put the Shazam figure and the Shazam movie in there, and then, uh, yeah, got him some DC reading material, and uh, it's even up, 50-50. So, oh, man, that, that's, that's really great that you guys do. Yeah. That's super, super yeah. commendable, man. That's amazing. Thanks, Are you man. trying to be podcaster of the year? Like, everyone's going to vote for you now over Troy. <laughs> well, you know, it's all about the man? high... It's all about the highest highs and the lowest lows. That's an awesome story, though, man. That's awesome. Incredible. Thanks, buddy. Good um, on you, man. Yeah, so who knows? We'll uh, we'll see. Hopefully, if we it's can. not like Troy, and he's like, oh, Shazam, I hated that movie. He's like, at least I got a drink coaster or something. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. My, my intentions were in the most noble of <laughs> It's yeah. like, why? I specifically said no Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Sonny, it's good to have you back. <laughs> I can see your brain just scrambled right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then as far as uh, nerd stuff, the only other thing for me this week was, for the first time ever, I uh, bought at full price a digital video game. Like, I've bought lots of digital games before, but they've always been on like the, the other clearance kind of summer sales or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm not quite ready to dip into that PS five life, but I need to fire up my boy, Miles Morales. So mm. I put in that pre-order and it was kind of cool, man. Like, so you pull the trigger on the pre-order and like right away, it tells you that when you buy the digital copy of it, you get a free upgrade to the PS five version. If, and when you do go that route, um, and it also gives you a little countdown clock. So at like midnight on release day, I guess it auto downloads to my console. So oh, oh, wicked. Yeah, it was kind of cool. And it was like, I was debating whether or not to do it, but, uh, my daughter for like the last couple of weeks has been like, when's this miles Morales game coming out? Are we, are we getting the miles game? When's the miles game? Yeah. Hitting? And so I was like, you know what? I'll just buy the digital copy. Like she's got my uh my og ps4 upstairs kind of thing so she can play it i can play it and then if and when i upgrade um to ps5 then i can just download like the ps5 version for free um and yeah bob's your uncle i'm really hoping that they do like a slim or a redesign version of the console or at least (laughs) the black oh man The, the ps5 like it's an amazing piece of hardware but man i do not like the look of it it's it's like huge it's huge and it's yeah. weird looking and just the white, like the white is cool when you take it out of the box, but those controllers, they're going to look like a smoker's teeth after a few hours of the game. And <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm what a, hoping. What like, a picture you just painted there. <laughs> That's the way it goes, man. You got to be practical with these things. So minimum waiting for a black version of the console. If I can, I'm going to try and hold st- strong until Gotham Knights hits. Mm. and see if they do a mm. Gotham Knights version of the machine because, oh. yeah, that'll be my jam. And if, I know if I jump early and they do do a Gotham Knights version of the machine, I'll be in the hole. So <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way it goes in that cave. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to fill those those shelves up, man. Yeah, yeah. carefully, <laughs> carefully. Yeah. Very By the carefully. way, the shelves are looking fantastic, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. yeah if you need help putting them up, don't ask me. 
<laughs> no, no, too too many fumbly people with mustaches. It'd be Troy. <laughs> it's me, well, Mario. Well, to be honest, you got Troy here, so if anything were ever to happen, yeah, you know, exactly. Troy can fix it. <laughs> yeah, true. exactly. That, that's the mantra in my house, man. <laughs> Well, guys, I'll take us home this week. I had a very, very light week, and I continued down the, the retro path here. And I teased it last week, and I got my hands on one more piece from the Ghostbusters line. I got my hands on the Yellow Highway Hunter car, and this was a, like it looks like a little bug when you push the back seats, and it pops up into kind of a praying mantis-looking car. And this was another one of those those toys that I had as a kid. But until I was doing a bit of a deeper dive into Ghostbuster collecting, and I saw it on a video, and I was like, I had that. I specifically, and I again, it's another one of these things, like the Ecto-2 I talked about, the helicopter a couple weeks ago, when I thought to myself, I I hadn't thought about this for two decades. And this was another one of those things. And then lo and behold, up on Kijiji comes one. I lowball oh, okay. low the guy an offer. He takes it right away. We meet up, do the exchange in a weird parking lot up in the Northwest. And <laughs> and here it is in my collection. Another great vintage piece to add to the Ghostbusters line here. Guys, I am I'm in a deep dark place with this. In in like a good way. But like it, it's I'm continuing to run sprint down this path. And and like I've said in the DM guys, I'm I'm absolutely loving this. Send pictures to my parents. My dad's like, oh yeah, I loved it. And he's asking for pictures for the holidays. Like what do you got? What do you need? And it's just been, again, another really great week with just another nice piece added to the collection on the, the retro Ghostbuster stuff. Ooh. So cool. I remember that car so well. Yeah, that buggy, so well. the yellow one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that was cool. Yeah, and it'd stand up, right? Like, you could kind of lean it up and you'd have Yeah, like you that. push, there's two buttons on the back seats. You push it and it automatically, like, leans up and the tires yeah. flip out and you got the praying mantis head that <laughs> yes. sneaks out the top. It's it's a yeah. great piece. Absolutely That's great crazy. piece. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's 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 been really really cool, and I'm looking forward to to continuing to go down this path. I found myself in a bit of a YouTube hole looking at Ghostbuster collections <laughs> and pining over the next things. And Did I don't you guys know. Ever and, have that uh, ghost in a can from Ghostbusters? I think I think I know what you're talking about. It's like but, a can that you can open, but it's like a ghost in it and made like a rattling noise. Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I'll probably have it in the collection in the not too distant future. <laughs> so, and the only thing, other thing that was really of significance this week in, in nerd was of course the Mandalorian chapter 10 guys, the passenger is the next installment in, in what is already a, a, just a killer season of the Mandalorian. And I thought we could take a couple minutes here and just talk about it quick because myself, Carlos and Troy, we all sat down and watched this thing on, on Friday at various times no, Sanjay. He's, I could have seen me, it. Don't he's give me though. Like, oh. <laughs> what? Whoa! Oh! Oh! Because I don't watch you it. Need Disney Plus. It. <laughs> Second, <laughs> you need Disney+. Second, you need to have some interest in the space. I but, resent those assumptions. <laughs> they are not assumptions. They are pure fact. <laughs> but so this episode, guys, just will will we give ourselves five minutes here to to break it down? Like we said before, we're not going to do full episode breakdowns of each episode we're going to kind of hit some of the like the major episodes maybe kind of mid-season and then of course towards the end head over to tumbling saber 
I know these guys are breaking them down. Generation X-Wing 2, some of our pals here um, that uh, will be breaking these episodes down in, in quite a bit of detail. But I just want to get your guys' thoughts on this. You know, for me, this was, a, of course, a much slower episode than the one we came off of. The, the season opener, like we all expressed, was an absolute banger and took you through almost kind of a, almost what would be assumed to be a cinematic piece of, of a Mandalorian film, where this one, to me, felt like it scaled it back quite a bit. In, in story, not in, in visual effects and all that. And it felt more like an episode of a TV show to me in this one. But the thing I liked about it is, and this is, I think, the advantage of the episodic nature of The Mandalorian and of telling Star Wars in this manner and using this platform, is that it gives us time to spend on a random world with different creatures. And we had the child with some real standout moments. And I'm sure, Carlos, your daughter absolutely loved what she was seeing there because compared to the first episode where he didn't get to do much, this episode, they, they really let the puppeteer go to town <laughs> with this with the reactions and everything they were doing there. So, guys, bring some thoughts in this. Carlos, man, what, what, what about you and your daughter? Like, I know you guys have been sitting and watching these things together. What did you guys feel about uh, episode or chapter 10, I should say, there? Yeah, I, I liked it. I particularly love the opening scene like mm-hmm. that was that was just money with um the ambush and whatnot yes. and uh like awesome that was such a cool opener and then the rest of the episode was cool like some of the smaller stuff i really appreciated like seeing what the new status quo in the galaxy is now that the, the new republic is establishing mm-hmm. itself as kind of your your police force and your governance um in the area and that they don't have it all figured out either which i thought was kind of neat and uh, even the resolution with them throwing it back and using something that happened in season one as the reason for why mm-hmm. they deal with the Mandalorian the way they do. Um, so, yeah, I, I loved it. I watched it kind of beginning to end the one time. But, man, that episode was on in my house probably <laughs> seven times. Wow. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like, man, she watched those child moments over and over and over again like it was on in the background all of set the snowy cold saturday that we had because uh yeah like you said they really let that puppeteer shine in in that episode and so many cute moments with the with the child and um the eggs (laughs) oh yeah no and it was kind of neat to see a bit of their their relationship develop a bit and obviously one doesn't show his face and the other one doesn't talk, but just the little kind of subtle moments between the two of them, you could kind of see what the the bonding that they've gone through and just even stuff like when he takes out that the guy with the jetpack in in the opening and he the child kind of disapprovingly looks at him and he kind of shrugs or <laughs> the fact that they go have naps together and stuff. Yeah. And that was cool, <laughs> man. Like I, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I really liked those aspects of it. Um, so yeah, it was a another winner of an episode, I thought. Yeah, for sure. And like the the big spider stuff kind of threw me off a little bit, but again, it was something cool and something different. And I like the fact that the Mandalorian is vulnerable at times and mm-hmm. he just can't solve every problem, right? Like even when he gets ambushed, part of me was thinking from the first episode, "Oh, he's going to see this and he's going to stop and he's going to, you know, but no, like he he crashes and has to walk back into into town and Demas Eisley there. And I, I yeah. thought it was it was a real episode to to get to know the Mandalorian, like you said, Carlos, to explore a bit more 
the development of the relationship between him and the child. And you can't do that when he's firing rockets and, and shooting all the time, right? You need these moments to develop that relationship because it's got to come to some conclusion at some point here. And to earn that conclusion and to earn what is going to be, you know, a very emotional separation, my my anticipation is at some point, you have to have these moments, right? Which bond these two together on a very emotional way for both the characters and for the audience. And mm-hmm. you need this stuff. So, Troy, man, what are your thoughts yeah. on, on Chapter 10 here? Oh, I loved it, man. This this is awesome. Yeah. This is this is incredible. Um, obviously, I still like number one the best, or I guess oh, like Chapter 8. No, Chapter 9, sorry. Yeah, 9. Um, the most. Um, but, again, this felt kind of like a, like a, a high-end Rebels. It felt mm-hmm. very much um, episodic, of course. But it kind of captured that, that Rebels kind of, I don't want to say filler, you know, but kind of bridging the gap, but still yeah. a lot of stuff happened. Um, the action sequences still are incredible. What's going on? It's such a step up from last season. Um, you mentioned the puppeteer aspect, so the practical effects were great, but the special effects were awesome. The uh, the cave scene with the spiders, it was such a cool, um, kind of like an aliens moment, mm-hmm. basically, you know, and uh, it was it's kind of scary, man. Like, I was like, how are they gonna get out of this the yeah. whole time? <laughs> that chase was incredible, and then they had um. Like the lizard frog lady, like, you know, using her like instincts. You get that quick little scene of her actually like, I guess, like jumping across the screen. I was mm-hmm. like, that is so cool that they put that in there. Um, I actually had a lot of fun with this. I've kind of seen online. There's a little bit of like a uh, back and forth, but I, 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 I'm digging it. Like the yeah. Mando for me continues to deliver. Um, you mentioned the ambush scene. I thought that was incredible how he solves it with the jetpack. Mm-hmm. Um, sends the guy up and the jetpack kind of had a little bit of character itself and it kind of yeah. flopped back down. Like, I thought that was so cool, man. And uh, and I'm glad they didn't really pick up so quick off of just, you know, shoehorning um, uh, Boa Fett. Like, they yeah. could have very easily just thrown that in there. I like that we're taking our time, especially with these longer episodes, because, again, I felt like this wasn't as long as the last episode, but no, longer very- than the normal it's about ten minutes shorter than last week's. I yeah, I see. And that, that's good length. Yeah, forty. Yeah, that that works for me. I mean, they can find a stride with that. So, um, if they're going to kind of have these little episodes, I don't want to use the word filler, but these kind of episodes that are bridging the gap, um, with that length, it works for me because they still got a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Filoni had another cameo. Yeah, you know, turning as the X-wing pilot, and uh, I liked how they were kind of like interrogating. Mando mm-hmm. there for a minute and then once you saw like the X wings uh wings kind of like accelerate I was like oh man here we go and we had a nice like like dog fight like yeah. a dog fight on TV for Star Wars are you kidding me and it looked good it, it looked great. really really good <laughs> I like yeah. I, I just I got no complaints man I love where this season's going and I have a feeling this is going to be my favorite season so far like I oh, yeah. I'm there right now, man. I'm digging this show big time. Yeah. And I think for anyone out there that, that may have felt like, and I agree with you, this I, I don't like the word filler like mm-hmm. you, um, but it was definitely a slow in pace. But you guys have to remember, like there's eight episodes here. We're basically yeah. getting eight 45 to hour long episodes. Like you need these times. You have to remember that this is a TV show and TV shows, the benefit of them is that they can take time to do episodes like this that are slower, that build something more. Like my guess is that this episode will have some impact later on down the road. Like there's a point to this, right? There's a point to telling this specific story. Um, It's not just to like shoehorn in, let's get eight episodes. They have a ton of content to get through. And like they could tell any story they want. And the fact that they chose to tell this one specifically, my guess is it means something down the road. 
Yeah. And I think this will all connect in some very fantastic way. And like you said, seeing the X-Wings on screen, Dave Filoni back in that, that, that role again as the X-Wing yeah. pilot. And you're right, that dogfight was flawless. Like, it looked like big screen, what yeah. we've seen delivered in the last five years in the films and even before that, right? Definitely. This fits in with what you would call movie quality. And that's where we're at with Disney Plus and a lot of these even streaming service shows, right? Is yeah. that there's no line anymore. There's no blurring it and there's no, you know, mass separation. It's it's one for one basically in quality, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is amazing. And it makes that, that much more consumable and engaging and all that too, that you don't see this like stepwise or they're doing things kind of in a weird way where you just see the cockpit. Like you're seeing pullback proper yeah. X-Wing dogfight with the Razor Crest too. Oh, yeah. Fantastic, Fantastic work, stuff. Agreed, yeah. man. Agreed. And that's Peyton Reed, right? Peyton Reed did that one? Ant-Man? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. 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 So Great MCU stuff. alum. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it, guys. Well, that wraps up this week in Nerd for us here you know some great collecting pieces acquired we got some comic books digested here but guys we're gonna get over to this retrospective of v for vendetta and our man sunny with a ton of enthusiasm brought this to the table for us this week very appropriate timing and we're gonna break this down now this is gonna be like a normal film review where we kind of walk through everything sequentially here this is gonna be a bit more like i said a, a retrospective look back at the film and a discussion of it how it holds up some of the themes that are embedded in it from 2006 um it's likeness maybe a bit to the original comic which i have not read alan moore comic um but just doing some reading today there there does appear to be some differences but uh, but Sonny, man, what what was it here? And I'm going to throw it to you to to run this conversation. But what was it that intrigued you enough to to bring this up with some passion in the DM and, and wanting to to review this this week? Yeah, man. Um, <clears throat> for me, um, two things. One was as I mentioned, the 4K came out last week, so it just kind of brought it back into top of mind. Um, but another thing was I was doing a um. Well, I was doing like a retrospective review of myself. Like I was going back to rewatch all the DC films, all 32 of them. And um, before I had um, done that, I had like ranked them of where I thought they would each sit. And it had been 14 years since I had seen V for Vendetta. And so I was like, oh, that'd probably be like 15. I remember I liked it. It was pretty good. It should probably land around there. But then when I gave it a rewatch man i fell in love with this film like to me this is my fourth favorite dc comics film ever like i just absolutely was blown away by it and i remember troy um we were talking about this and i know like sometimes when i um recommend something you know it doesn't always land with you hey, the turtles um, are great man i love the turtles you got yeah it. <laughs> yeah the turtles comic <laughs> that actually worked out pretty well um but i was like you know like I think Troy would really dig this, man. Like, I really, really think he would really dig this. And, you know, um, hopefully, you know, after we get through this discussion, Troy, hopefully I will reach your G spot and you'll enjoy this. <laughs> his, no, you got to say his V spot. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully this lands in your V spot, Troy, because, you know, I always, I keep missing. I keep missing. So hopefully, like, Shazam didn't really work. So I'm hoping this one lands, Troy. Oh, man. <laughs> see this is what you get when you like let me like host something like this is why we're at we're 244 episodes in and i've hosted yeah. maybe half of one 
<laughs> this is well, what we get you the other get. half here to fill in a whole episode at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, Tim, this is um, you know came out in 2006. It's based on a Vertigo comic, um, which was like an offshoot of DC Comics, and it was written by Alan Moore, the same guy who did Watchmen. Now, I guess we'll go into full spoilers with this film because yes. it is 14 years old. If you haven't seen it already. You're kind of living it right now, but you can just go and watch <laughs> the film as well. Uh, um, IMDb describes it as, In a future British tyranny, a shadowy freedom fighter known only by the alias of V plots to overthrow it with the help of a young woman. So very broad understanding of what the film is about. Um, before we dive in, Tim, you mentioned you haven't read the comic. Troy, up until this point, you said you hadn't seen the movie, so I assume you haven't also read the comic. Uh, Carlos, have you read this before? I've never read this yet. Um, I'm dying to read it, actually. But uh, have you read it, and what are your thoughts on it, if you have? The comic? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it's been a lot of minutes <laughs> since <laughs> I read it. Um, I did read it in around the time of the movie, uh yeah it, it's good to be honest i th i actually kind of prefer the movie like the the comic book it, it has a lot more minutiae and it really um develops the characters as far as like the figures in the british government and the fingermen and all that kind of stuff and gives them some backstory there's a couple pretty key characters that they wrote out for the movie but I don't know, in retrospect, I, I think that was a good thing. Like, Alan Moore got into the weeds a little bit with, like, the sexual deviancy stuff and, like, weird interfamily relationships and whatnot. And um, I, I think here for the story that they decided to tell and the things that they focused on here versus uh, where he went in that book, for the message that the filmmakers wanted to convey, this was actually a better approach. Mm. Um than the comic book for sure. It's definitely worth reading. Um, and it is a bit of its time. Like it shows that kind of. It came out in the 80s, 80s right? Yeah. yeah, that 80s edginess um, yeah. with it kind of thing. So I don't know. Like I'm not a huge fan of those like angsty, angry, like misogynistic stories from back then. Like. Mm -hmm. Some dudes make multi-million dollar movies about them, but uh, yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah. well, Alan Moore too. I think, from what I understand, from just doing some, you know, history on this, pretty much disassociates yeah. himself from this completely, right? Like he like hates it. <laughs> anything that Hollywood does with his name, that's why you'll see it like based on the graphic novel, illustrated by D Dave Gibbons, for example, or you know, illustrated by whoever did this, because he doesn't want anything to do with it. Like he just doesn't want any of his films turned into movies what I, or I think, TV shows. I think too, yeah. his problem is, and I'm just, you know, extrapolating here a little bit is I think he has like some very particular themes. And I, from what I understand, this was much more about fascism and anarchism as opposed to what it was converted into. I think for an audience to digest in 2006 during the Bush administration, um, I, I think he, he doesn't like when things are quote unquote bastardized in into something different. But I think for a consumable audience, like they're making a movie for, for something broader, not what Alan Moore is putting to, mm -hmm. to page. Right. And yeah, 
but they could even have interpreted that thing panel for panel and he'd still have a problem with it. Yeah. Like he's just <laughs> yeah. that guy. He's like, <laughs> I, I wrote this thing on napkins and that is the only way that thou shalt consume it. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. He, he's just that guy. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I, I found that interesting that yeah, he wanted nothing to do with it because I, I, as far as I can tell, too, like, and I agree from having very little background on what he actually put to to comic, this to me is uh, the right thing to do for the time. Like, it's Wachowski's too, right? Like, mm-hmm. the creators of The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they, uh, so they wrote the film and they produced the film. And I can't remember the guy who directed it, <clears throat> but he, he, the guy who directed it, he was like the assistant director for yeah. episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was assistant director in like some of the Matrix films as yeah, well. So this was, unit, I think, for Matrix yeah. One. Right? Yeah. So like this was like his first film directing. So it's it's kind of like um, the film The Poltergeist, where uh, Toby Hooper directed it, but Steven Spielberg had a ton of influence with it. Um, and you can see that shine through in the film, and you can see that here um, with the Wachowskis. Just uh, their their influence. Um, you know, Matrix had come out, and some of the fight scenes very reminiscent of something you'd see in the matrix i think yeah you do see the wachowskis all over this thing right there's some themes from the matrix that you can see in here a little bit with the the government control in that and i agree with you a lot of the the camera work especially with v's fight scenes um which are fairly practical i think um some of the knife work right there's nothing too fantastical about what he does um which is i i appreciate that in in all this right you you, there is some leaning towards a bit of, you know, innate powers that are imbued to him in, in some fashion through medical experiment, but ultimately they're pretty grounded fight scenes. Yeah, oh, the, yeah. gore, the, the gore was funny for, for me. Um, <laughs> I guess it's just a product of its time, right? But um, it uh, the fight choreography for me was very... Um, is very much obviously like the Matrix, but it felt like a fad kind of, right? A trend almost mm-hmm. that they were they were working off of so today in my opinion it didn't age the best the uh the fight choreography and um yeah that blood that blood was a little weird for me just i don't know towards <laughs> well, the end there like yeah it kind of just creeped up at the end like it, yeah, yeah. Just at the end right like that big fight scene which was you know which was okay the fight scene itself but just like the gore was just really weird how it was just like splattering out of um people he was taking down mm-hmm. um it's almost like a bad video game like a bad mortal <laughs> yeah. combat clone but um yeah um that that, that was interesting and, and then suddenly you mentioned the director uh first time directing it, it shows and um it's it's much like was it kimberg simon kimberg did the last x-men film yeah oh yeah yeah Dark right Phoenix. and i think that was his first like directorial debut too right like he's done a lot of other things and um a lot of success with some other projects but stepping into that director's chair that's that's when you got to come out guns blazing and you can you can kind of see that it would have been interesting to see um the original directors of the matrix actually take on this whole project but um yeah yeah that's what i'll just add on to to that little (laughs) there so did you guys see this when it came out in 2006 I saw this opening weekend um, with my wife, and I knew nothing about V. I wasn't reading comic books or graphic novels at the time. I just saw some trailers. I was maybe, oh, shoot, how old was I? I was 19 years old, so I was like, yeah, man, this looks like a cool action film. Let's go check it out. So I was there opening weekend. Man, I fell in love with this film. Like, 
I remember when the credits were rolling, I was just, I was just sitting there and I was just in awe of like what I had just seen. And like, um, I really dug it. And then, you know, when I went back and watched it again this year and then again for this retro review, I just loved it even more. Like I, I started picking up on some of those like, um, deeper themes that I kind of missed at 19 years old. Um, so did you guys see it? Um, like, what are your memories of 2006? And do you know if they've changed, if your opinion of this film has changed uh, rewatching it this year in 2020? Yeah, I, I got to say, I to be honest, when I popped this in last night, I thought to myself, I can't remember if I've even seen this all the way through. And ultimately, I think the answer is yes, I probably did see it somewhere in there. My guess it was a pirated version of it <laughs> in that time. I was in, you know, early university in that. So I, I definitely did him, pay, pay to he see admitted this. it. <laughs> <laughs> you have no proof other than I just admitted to it. But um, yeah, so I knew all the twists. Like I, I, there was no surprises for me on this rewatching of it. And so my guess is yes, I had seen this, but Ultimately, it didn't have a major impact on me at the time. Um, and I think it goes back to how old I was when this came out. Like there, like you said, Sonny, I caught a lot more rewatching it at this age and understanding politics better, the difference between left, right, neoconservative, liberalism, all this kind of stuff, right? And, and even the environment that we're living in right now. I can draw a lot more parallels to, to then and then in retrospect back to, you know, where America was in particular and a lot of the world was during 2006 there's you know ongoing wars and there's like this like big outstepping of america into foreign politics and all this and so i appreciated it a lot more this go around than i did when i was in my early 20s when i saw this originally and you know the the deeper themes that are embedded in this struck me a lot more and so when i saw this yeah it I didn't make the you know major connections to some of the Orwellian stuff that was there. And of course, you know, the, a lot of the Nazi Germany third Reich stuff is, is very blatant. And I caught that at that age, but connecting the dots wasn't, I don't think as, uh, as effective as it was this go around. So 2006, you know, coming off the back end of, of revenge of the Sith and, and where I was headspace wise just didn't catch me then, but yeah, it caught me this time around for sure. How about you, Carlos? Yeah, you know what? I I remember seeing it in a theater, and I remember I remember it well because like I couldn't get anybody to go with me, <laughs> and I can't remember. It was like, well, yeah, it was my my wife at the time for whatever reason. Like she was just not interested or working or whatever. So I ended up going by myself, and like lo and behold, I'm in the theater, and the only other group in the theater is actually this dude I worked with and his family. <laughs> Really? I was like, what are the chances? <laughs> and uh, I remember walking out and just kind of talking to him. And I was like, oh, Alex, what did you think? And I really liked the movie. And he hated it. He thought really? it was like terrible and uh, did not enjoy it at all kind of thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, it it was interesting to like I've watched it once or twice since. And I've, I've always liked the movie, but mm-hmm. it's almost a better film now, like outside of the things that Troy was talking about as far as like visuals, but thematically Mm -hmm. it's a way better movie now because we've literally just lived that whole media manipulation, Mm -hmm. misinformation from the government scapegoating type of um, uh, political environment. Right. So it, it was, it was really cool to watch it now and 
you kind of felt like you dodged a bullet because yeah. we ended up watching Maybe? it Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it was neat. And just the timing of it was weird because like with the with the big Batcave reorg, I had all my DVDs and whatnot pulled down and my wife came down here and she was just milling about and saw the, I had the DVD steel book uh, yeah. sitting on the ground and she's like, oh, we should watch that movie again. And uh, that was way before Sunny kind of started this process. And so... <laughs> she said that. She said that, and then Sunny contacts me asking me if I want the digital code within 24 we set hours. It up. Of that. We set it up behind your back. We're and like, then there, I really need then... Carlos to get this digital code <laughs> off me, please. <laughs> yeah, and then there was the retro review all of a sudden. So yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty funny. Like it was just uh, it was meant to be on the fifth of November. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny you say that about like what we're living right now and, and potentially dodging a bullet but like this even goes down to like the saint mary's virus right that has scared yeah. everyone into living inside your houses like we're literally living that like i'm not of the conspiracy type which i think that this was a, a developed virus or anything like that but mm-hmm. um it is interesting that there's some very key things that are said at the start of the film it's like oh oh Okay. <laughs> you know, like everything, man. Everything. Yeah. Like the, the, the scapegoating of certain races and religions yes, and then coupling 100%. that with the virus and this inference that outside forces put this into the British society. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah and like and the, how the, reflective the major, major Fox news, <laughs> like, like parallels that we're seeing in there <laughs> about, oh, yeah. they will believe what I tell them to believe. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what's that guy's name? I can't remember, but the guy that, uh, was on the TV. Yeah. He, he was, yeah. And you could totally see that guy being on like a Fox news thing or something, just spewing like all his <laughs> hate and stuff. And it was, it's pretty like, prophecy almost you know what i mean like for this film to come out in 2006 and the film takes place in the 2020s it doesn't give you like an exact date i don't know what the exact year is but it's pretty crazy that like some of the stuff that they were able to say and then you're looking like wow like that's pretty on the nose there yeah so but this film came out in 2006 i mean we were five years removed from 9-11 so this film actually faced a lot of criticism upon release a lot of people there's a lot of backlash against it saying, how could WB promote a film or put out a film where there's a terrorist who's the main character who goes up and blows up a government building? Um, which which seems pretty crazy because if you watch the film, he's fighting against pretty much Hitler. Like, I don't get that criticism. Maybe it's just me, but like, do, are you guys with me on that? Or do you think like like five years removed, I mean... That that was like such a massive event in our lives and in not even American history, but like world history. And for them to put out this film less than five years after, like, do you think, do you agree with that criticism or do you think it was unfair? Because that kind of dodged the film a bit. Like the film did okay at the box office and got like okay reviews. But I feel like that was like a controversy that kind of like clouded the film. Is like people who, if people didn't know what it was about and you're like, oh, it's a terrorist that blows up a government building. You're like, well, I'm not going to watch that. Like, why would I watch that? You know, but if you watch the film, you're like, oh, he's fighting pretty much Hitler. Like, you know what I mean? So are you guys with me on that? Or do you think like the criticism was, was fair? Well, I think this movie was intentionally or is meant to come out in 2005. Mm-hmm. And it was delayed about a year. And I think there were rumors that it was delayed 
not because of 9-11, but more towards the, the London tube bombings. And oh. given that he loads up a, a tube train with uh, explosives and sends it towards Parliament. But ultimately, I think, I, I don't particularly, again, I'm not in the mindset of 2006 individual, but I don't particularly see that as, as a major issue here. I don't, I don't see that as being insensitive to the people that lost their lives uh, during those tragic times. And I think under ultimately the theme is is less about blowing up the parliament like that is I guess maybe the end game, but the whole movie isn't centered around that right. It plays off Guy Fox and it plays off of the fifth of November and, and what was done then or attempted then, and then ultimately executed here. But I, I don't see it being kind of ultimately the focal point of, of and what drives the narrative. I think that's the end game, but there's so much more embedded in this film once you watch it that to me that was always sat at the back of my mind uh, like as far as what his ultimate goal was here like it was you know and i think he says it in the film too right it's less about the building that i'm blowing up and more about the idea of it mm-hmm. yeah. um and what that idea then does to a larger group of people um as far as influence and so you know you could argue that that was maybe something that could have been insensitive at that time. But I think now watching it 15 years later, I think it works thematically for sure for the film. Oh man, this could have been like a, a democratic voting drive <laughs> advertisement at this point in time, right? Like, <laughs> because yeah, maybe back then. And I, and I don't think this was ever their intent. Mm-mm. And I think the criticism was a bit unfair, but it's like you release this exact same movie with updated special effects last summer. People <laughs> would be going crazy for it. Like, yeah, it, it would have done gangbusters business and be extolled as one of the most progressive comic book movies of all time. And yeah, it, it just it maybe had a bit of unfortunate timing kind of thing, but I don't know the, the fact that it struck such a chord with, with us now speaks to the strength of the storytelling and the, the characters and that. And, and even like at the end, right. Where Evie kind of says like, it's just a building, mm-hmm. just let it go because giving people hope, um, to overcome their government, um, is way more important kind of thing. So, yeah, it it might have been unfortunate timing then, but I don't think it was ever the intent. And like, really, I think it's awesome that it showed up on Netflix and a ton of people are going to be able to see it now and mm-hmm. hopefully have the same reaction that we did. So, How about you, Troy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, whether it's their intent or not, I guess I could see why, though. I mean, 2005 is not too far away removed from those events, so I could I could totally see why people would kind of get their backs up over something like that. Um I'm not saying I'm necessarily in that camp and it's different for me because I'm watching this now, um, like yesterday, right. In 2020. (laughs) So it's easy for me to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Whatever. But I mean, I guess if you're coming off of like, yeah, like the tube, uh, situation or even, um, obviously, uh, New York's events, I could see why people would be a little like, Hmm, terrorists and buildings, explosions, you know, I mean, you look at even like the little things in like Spider-Man, Sam Raimi, right. When they removed, The two mm-hmm. towers, right? Just out of respect. So I, I could, I could, I could see that side. I could see that party being a little upset, for sure. So the main characters we talked about: Evie, played by Natalie Portman, and V, by Hugo Weaving. I, I think they both did a terrific job. Like Natalie Portman went all out on this. Like she shaved her head for mm-hmm. this role. She gave it her all. And Hugo Weaving, you never even see his face, but 
he gives such a good dramatic um um what you call it? he gives such a good dramatic performance he's quoting shakespeare he's dancing you can like tell like in the inflection in his voice like how he's feeling and like how he's emoting and i i think he just did a terrific job um do you guys agree like do you think the two leads worked for you do you think they they're miscast or what what are your thoughts on that troy i'll, I'll throw it to you because you've seen this for the first time the first yesterday time. yeah yeah <laughs> so what yeah, are your man. thoughts on the big two you know what? Um, it's it, good for Hugo Weaving. It's cool. He must have had a lot of fun, you know, coming off of uh, Mr. Smith, right? Um, and he wasn't quite Red Skull at this point. So it was cool for him to flex that other kind of muscle in his acting. Um, so I thought that was cool. It was hard for me to connect with him a little bit with the mask, but I mean, that's just that's just the character, right? So there's not much you can do with that. But I think he put on quite the performance. Natalie Portman, though, man, I gotta say, I wasn't I wasn't digging uh, the accent. And uh, I, I I was missing the chemistry, especially towards the middle and end there that they were trying to make between the two. Um, it's weird because she's such a phenomenal actress, but for me, like when she's uh, when she strikes, she strikes. You know, when you go back to the the Thor films, um, I'm a the biggest prequel defender ever, and I love Padme, but her her acting could be a little little off sometimes, and she's coming off the heels of Revenge, and. Um, yeah, man, she she didn't quite work for me all the way. But I don't know if, again, if it's like the prequel excuse, whether it's the dialogue was kind of weird for her to chew or it's the actress. I don't really know. Because, again, like I mentioned, she, she's a phenomenal actress. Um, Oscar winning, too, right, for Black Swan, mm-hmm. I think. Right? So yeah. she's clearly capable, right? But um, I, I just I couldn't connect with her all the way. I think her best moment was her in the prison. Um, That was the yeah. The, the moments where mm-hmm. I was digging it, not just because she shaved her head. I remember that was a big thing actually back then, <laughs> you know, her shaving yeah. her head. But that's the most I got out of her. And she had her, her, her Shawshank redemption moment there out in the rain. I think that's a little later on actually. But um, yeah, that, that, was, that, that worked for me. But I definitely give it to Hugo. Hugo for me was probably actually the most of any actor, actress in this film that I actually liked for acting chop wise. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if Hugo was like, whatever you say, m'lady. <laughs> when he was talking to Natalie Portman, <laughs> could have worked better for you, Troy. How, how do you feel about sand there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, My grandmother said, "God also... is in the sand." What's that? <laughs> God is in the sand, and she starts throwing up sand, and it goes in her face, and she's like, "This is so much better than water." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If they could animate the sand as well, I mean, yeah, clearly wasn't in their favor with this one. But, yeah. <laughs> well, the shade, man. I need, I need like, a, I don't even need an umbrella because you're pro- you're procasting shade upon me here. <laughs> How about uh, you, Carlos, and then uh, you, Tim? What are your thoughts on uh, the two lead actors in the film? Yeah, man, I dug it. You could tell that Hugo Weaving was like loving playing the role of V and just chewing that dialogue. And, you know, he had a few scenes where he'd get to uh, act and express with his body, like the the scene where he's training on the suit of armor or the other one where he's like, that stuck out to me was when he's like cooking her dinner. Yeah. He's got like the apron on or the yeah. breakfast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you, you could tell he was having a good time and uh, really enjoyed stepping up to the challenge of acting through this mask with a single expression on it. But I felt that he did the job. Like you could see him go through a range of emotions. Like you could see him getting sad. You could see him being happy, his disappointment. And, um, 
it, it was just all of the voice work that he did and and a few of the body motions and whatnot. And yeah, I can kind of feel Troy a bit with uh, with Natalie Portman there. Like there was there was a few times where the accent came in and out and where. Uh, especially when she was in that weird transition. Like I thought she was really good at the beginning when she was kind of in that corporate lifestyle, just trying to be a citizen of this version of London. Um, and I thought she was excellent through the back end when she gets captured at uh, her boss's residence and right through the end of the movie. But there's that kind of awkward bit in the middle where mm-hmm. even just stuff like the accent she wrestled with a little bit, um, the, the, biggest part for me was like when uh v does the takeover of the tv station it, it was mm-hmm. just like she was she felt kind of like kevin costner and robin hood just <laughs> trying to decide if she's gonna keep doing the british accent or just drop it all together very or... storm like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah. another it's like very strong at the start and then it slowly fades or like elizabeth <laughs> yeah. olsen in as scarlet witch oh, right yeah. it's like really yeah. strong and then it slowly fades yeah. as you get further <laughs> on <laughs> But uh, yeah, no. All in all, it, it was fine, and I and I really liked all the actors. Like they were, they were all a bit mustache twirling, mm-hmm. but I thought they were great. Like they were over the top and um, really hammered home why you were supposed to hate each of the members of the British government, kind of thing. Yeah. Save the one investigator and his and his partner there. So yeah, it, it was pretty good. Like I think the movie really thrives on the strength of Hugo Weaving's performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I like think to your your comment about the mustache twirling is, you know, Star Wars has taught us that the British people are bad. Yes. <laughs> Especially when they're in suits and in uniform. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I have to agree with you guys. Like Hugo Weaving here uh, delivers an, an incredibly engaging experience for me. And he's got this like that Guy Fox smile, but like when he's watching the film with her and the county money Cristo. I, I feel his passion for it. His smile, like smiling behind that mask and his disappointment at certain times. And I, I just really, really enjoyed, especially this go around his performance. I got, I took a ton away from it. And I think that is truly, like you said, Carlos, the strength of the film because Natalie Portman, I think has her moments, but when you have an actor that is behind a mask at times you have to rely on the supporting cast to deliver that chemistry and to deliver that emotion. And I find that she doesn't always pull through on that. Um, I agree with you at the start. She's okay. The best stuff, the standout stuff for her is definitely the prison scene. And that's another thing where Hugo Weaving stands out. Cause my assumption is that he plays all of those characters, right? That go into the prison mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he stands out there enough and blends his accent enough whatever he's doing to make it sound like it's not exactly him you know when he catches her with the black bag you can hear him right and i think that's intentional but then when he goes into the the prison guards and you know what would be maybe a doctor or something when he kind of goes through those characters i find it, it very engaging as well and the work that she does in that prison scene when she's being tortured and reading the 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 toilet paper and all that stuff that is absolutely fantastic but when you go to chemistry wise just to show what they can do in this film i find that when she's reading that uh from the toilet paper that story the love story they tell in there to me that is like you get that you feel that right away that passion that love that connection and that chemistry between those two 
And I never exactly feel that. And maybe you're not supposed to get that romantic connection as deeply as they did demonstrate in that scene that she is relating to as she's going through this torture, the waterboarding and all that. Um, but that to me, that chemistry is just exuded on the screen there when they're telling that story. And I don't quite get there. Even the afterwards, like when she comes back in that, it's never truly that like bond that maybe you would get through that experience. And, and I, I don't know if it's the dialogue. I don't know if it's her, like she's still rather young. It's Portman, man. Yeah. Thor, it's... Anakin, and now V. She's out. It's all Padme. It's all, it's all Amidala here, man. It's on, it's on Natalie. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, to me, it doesn't detract from the movie. Like, it doesn't make it a bad movie. It just, I think that Hugo Weaving shines when he's on screen. And I think if she was a bit better, that would have elevated the whole movie a bit more. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, the, the, the villains you were talking about there. Can you go back for a second? The, the villains. I so I I never touched the graphic novel, but when I was looking up some stuff, um, I did find out. And I think Carlos, you mentioned it too. They dive more into the lifestyles of the villains. You know, you would see them go to the office. You would see them do some other things outside of just being in a Big Brother like boardroom. You know, talking yeah. to a head. Yeah. Um, I think I would have really appreciated that in this film. I think I would have really because Hego Weaving's so strong throughout this film, he's one that you can kind of jive with, and then you have Portman, and then everybody else is just like just one dimensional. So I think it would have been kind of neat to get a little more sense, and especially I mean the film wasn't short, so I think there is some things we could have probably cut away at and focused a little bit more on these these big bads and had yeah. a little bit of more dimension added on i think that would have been greatly appreciated but again that might have been something like for a first-time director i don't know maybe it's just something they just weren't capable of thinking of doing at the time in 2005 i don't know yeah it's funny that you say that because i've always felt that about that movie is that it doesn't have enough room to breathe Mm. and kind of expand and even just give you like a few other things like give you some more insights into the world and yeah. what life is like for the people living there and why it needs to change kind of thing because yeah. the londoners it's like i spent a lot of time in london and it's like mm-hmm. yeah they go to the pub and sit around and watch tv like that yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like i don't know it, it doesn't yeah. seem terrible kind of thing but they're telling you that it's terrible so we need to see a bit more of that or definitely and, and see a bit like when they go after that bishop that was kind of that was great because they expanded just yeah. with that dialogue with him and his aide and whatnot as to what a vile person he was. And you really like that was the most satisfactory satisfying kill that you see in a long time kind yeah. of thing. Like yeah. mm-hmm. almost wish they had showed it more type of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Vehicle. and it's it's funny you guys say that too, because like in retrospect, thinking about the scale of the film when it comes to character development, you do never get a full appreciation as to what like regime London's actually under, right? You get those five guys in a room plus the head, but you never see, you know, that almost like SS nature of them going and pounding on doors. You get bits and pieces of that. And it's not until the end of the film when you fully appreciate like the, the, the size of the military force that is, you're running London and the people in it. And you don't really ever get that, that oppressive feeling other than a few signs here and there, the opening scene with her getting kind of pinched by the fingermen and, so you never get to appreciate, I agree with you guys fully, what 
is actually going on. You get the news clips and the same flash of him screaming like Hitler, right? Well, you know, two, three times throughout the movie. But there's never like that, like rally or anything like that, where you see like that true conformance to the fascist leader, right? Mm. And I think a little bit more of that, I agree, probably would have went a long way to show exactly what he was up against, right? Like the scale of the film up until the very end feels relatively small for the themes that it's tackling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, and you know, there's the touches on the American civil war and there's, you know, touches on what happened here and there and the state. And I found myself sometimes being like, I want, I want expand this a little bit. The St. Mary's virus expanded a little bit, expand how he took over and the oppressive nature of, of what is going on. Like you get that, I think, but you never really see that. Like it's told to you, not shown to you. Mm. And I think they could have done with a bit more of showing to us what's happening. Cause like, even like the, the character that she goes to after she's with V, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, the, the TV Dietrich. show host guy, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 But to me, that feels like we've just repeated what she went through with V. Right, like it's he's got the Quran in the secret room, and he's got all this yeah. this stuff. Right, it's like we kind of already got the point that you're not allowed to have this stuff. Like this stuff has been put put away, it's been lockboxed, and you're not allowed to understand it anymore because this is what the government's doing. It, it just felt like you could have almost taken that that whole thing out to a degree, and and done something different with Portman at that point, and spent that time with her running around to different places, and then using that time there to show what is going on in London proper and England proper. Right. As opposed to kind of rehashing some of the themes and some of the, the show us stuff that they're do that they've already done with V, right? Like he's got yeah. this museum of stuff and we get that you're not allowed to have that stuff. We get mm-hmm. what the government's doing there, but we go and revisit all of that again. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think you see that like oppressive nature throughout the film, like at the beginning with the news, when he blows up the old Bailey, and then they're like, oh, we'll just say that it was like a, a planned demolition, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they're controlling the narrative through the media. And then you see um, at Gordon Dietrich's house, like, her boss, you know, simple things that, like, he could get killed for, get arrested, having the Quran, having an uh, art piece of Chancellor Sutler as the queen, um, or having those pictures of the men, you know, just the small things that, like, we kind of take for granted that, you know, he could die if he got exposed to them at which he does um, later on in the film. And as well, like when he, when uh, I always thought like Gordon Dietrich, when he got like inspired by V, so he has his little um, comedy show Mm -hmm. of um, Chancellor Sutler, where he's like boring stuff from like Bugs Bunny or Benny Hill, like very minor stuff, like poking fun of the leader. But, but the head chancellor says like, he's like no like you could see like when he like crushes that glass right and he sends in the secret police and kills him just for doing that like to me i think that was enough where you're like you don't even have freedom you don't have freedom of the media you don't have freedom of expression like they showed that through there where i was just like man this this regime is horrible like you know like just the minorest thing could get you killed but they kind of show that with her parents, right? And that gives you more of an inherent connection to her. That mm-hmm. like, because they do the same drag out scene where she's under the bed and he falls yeah. and he's got blood on his face and they bag her bag and take him. her away, right? Yeah, yeah. And 
it, again, I'm not criticizing that point, and I think there there is impact for having that, but it feels like we did it twice to some degree to me. As opposed to something different. Yeah. Yeah. Could have yeah, maybe benefited from a good old Rocky montage. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now you're talking my language. Yeah. Man. I think maybe they were trying to show that, like, you know, we all have a mask, not just V. Like, V has the mask, obviously, but we all hide behind a metaphorical mask. And, you know, Gordon Dietrich even said, like, mm-hmm. um, you hide behind a mask so long, you kind of forget who you really are. Or, you know, you forget your appetite. So, um, to me, maybe that's what they were trying to go for. For me, it kind of kind of worked, um, but I, I can kind of see your guys' point. Um, so, talking about Gordon Dietrich, um, you got to remember this film came out in two thousand six, and Tim, you mentioned this character Valerie earlier, the girl who writes her life story on toilet paper, her um, autobiography, if you will. This film here, I think, does an excellent job of representation of mm-hmm. LGBT community and lgbt people um this won awards it was highly praised upon release you gotta remember 2006 is a lot different from 2020 i mean it's 14 years ago and this stuff um unfortunately wasn't as you know accepted then as it is now um and you see to me like this movie treat the characters with reverence where they're multi-dimensional you know Gordon Dietrich, he's funny. He's um, a philosopher. He he's a successful in his work, and he's, he's also a gay man. He's a collector, <laughs> yeah. And he's also a gay man. Like his one trait isn't that he's a gay man. Mm-hmm. He's multi-dimensional. And then you get to Valerie, where she tells her life story. And I gotta be honest with you, her story and her arc wrecks me. Every time I watch this film, I cry. Like the story of her growing up and coming out to her parents in 2002 mm-hmm. and her finding acceptance and finding love with her wife and then having that ripped away from her um, because she was gay like that and like going into the um, getting thrown into the concentration camp. That story is heartbreaking. Like I tear up every time I watch that film at that part. Like and it's not just like a whimper it's full-on ugly cry like i can't even hide it i can't even watch the film with anyone else because i will blubber like a baby (laughs) i gotta wear my guy fox mask when i watch (laughs) it around other people um what are your guys' thoughts on how um they handled lgbt um community and people and um what are your thoughts on the scene specifically involving valerie because to me tim you touched on it earlier but to me that was like the heart of the film like that was Whew, that, that was rough man that was a rough scene to watch um i don't know i'll sp- i don't know i always go around we'll start with you tim and then we'll go around the horn here yeah guys i i think it was really really well done and like you said of the time it's uh it, it came i think as as something that was very well received by the community at, at large and i i today even you know it speaks volumes to the representation that is required in film, like you said, multi-dis- or multi-dimensional representation. And I think that's that's so key here. And that was something that was foreign to Hollywood even in 2006. And it, it's great to see this here. And I think I like that they, they did it with multiple people, right? And this was really meant to to show it and represent a community that has been persecuted for, for you know, centuries, right? Like this is a modernization of what you saw during the 1945 or during the Holocaust, really. Um, and 
it, it, it's a difficult subject to tackle, but I think they did it very, very well in this film. And like you said, that story with Valerie, it to me, I agree with you. It really strikes you, and it is one of it is one of the most beautiful parts of the film. And how they tie into the greater story and narrative with V himself is 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 very well done too. Right, right down to her being in this facility with V and experiencing that same thing because of who she was. And it's it's difficult to watch, right? You know, we're all parents here. And this is something that we would never do. You don't turn your back on your child, right? It's about embracing who they are as a person and, and running and running with that. And I think this, you know, for, for now, especially 2020, the fact that we can still sit here and have this conversation where communities are still persecuted and we're still having these conversations. And it, it really drives me nuts that that we're still having and debating this in parts of the world. Well said, well said. Carlos, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, man, it, it's amazing. Like, um, kind of like Tim hinted at, like we still don't get these themes in major Hollywood movies and particularly like superhero comic book mm-hmm. movies kind of thing. And that um, DC did this like 14 years ago. And I, th- I think to kind of build on your point that they were interesting um fleshed out three-dimensional characters but also that valerie was truly the soul of the movie Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. like v says that her and her experience and the fact that she uh, refused to let herself be erased by writing down her story on that toilet paper uh, that that's what got him through the experimentation that they allude to that was done on him and that was the only thing that caused him to survive and then that in turn is what um, gave Evie the strength to transform from like a victim into like the straight up uh, protagonist of the film ultimately um, speaks volumes kind of thing that they with such poetry wove those characters into the movie uh, in particular Valerie because there is no V and there is no vendetta without her mm-hmm. experience and the steps that she takes. So that's amazing, man. Like y- you have studios that don't even have characters from the uh, gender and sexually diverse communities in their movies, like mm-hmm. across the board, regardless of what it is. Right. And they go do this like 14, 15 years ago. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's yeah. still so relevant today too. Totally. Yeah. 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 Well said. Yeah, well no, said. man. Yeah, Carlos, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I think Valerie was awesome, and I, again, going back to like that jail scene, right? I feel like going off of Valerie's performance. I mean, obviously they shoot these at different moments, but that really gave Portman something better to even go off of, right? Mm-hmm. Like we got mm-hmm. something fantastic out of her, which I mentioned is like my favorite um, um, acting chop scene from her, and it's probably my favorite part of the film. Um, yeah, like, you know, Tim mentioned, like, we're all parents here seeing that scene when the, I can't remember, I think it was the dad, like, crumpled the picture of, like, yeah, his on. child. Yeah, come on. Yeah, it's harsh. What? But, like, that's a harsh reality, though, of, yeah. of some people's views, unfortunately. Yeah, crazy, and, and people have to go through that. Like, yeah. we yeah. look at it and say, yo, never in a million years. But yeah. there's people that have experienced that firsthand, even today. Yeah. And oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no. So no, no. So uh, you know, salute to WB for uh, touching on that subject. WBs, though, honestly, they've been pretty good with a lot of these kinds of things, and even even currently today now with a lot of their stuff, which is you know, it's about time. But um, no, that's great, man. What 15, 14 years ago that they were doing that, it's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, even like you look at HBO Max, like yeah. it's a major part of everything that they do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just showing like the the true diversity of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the all inclusive nature of it, right? It's not just always white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Straight white people. Like, you know yeah, what? Man. Though I will say in this film, there is a lot of white people. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No, there is like there's all white people. Black dudes <laughs> that counted in this whole I, thing. So, I kind yeah, of. That's true. I almost wondered if that wasn't the point though. Because it's like when they set it up, I was like, okay, I can see why there's no brown people. Because in real life, we've taken over that joint. But <laughs> like... see, I, think I spent time, like, I think 2006, I was yeah, in Yeah, me too. And so I was like, what? No. Well, <laughs> I, I, think that... I think they were outlawed, right? Like they were rounding up. They mentioned like Muslims, Jews. Um, they're rounding them up into concentration camps. And like they were outlawed in London. So maybe, you know, it's kind of like um, you mentioned like Nazi Germany. Right probably was you know unfortunately one color during world war ii so maybe like that was because they show a scene with a a gay couple in bed and it's a brown guy and a black guy and um they get rounded up and thrown in the concentration camp Yeah. yeah and i think that i agree it may have been intentional that's because i think the original i think alan moore like focus a lot more from what I understand on like race superiority and all that and like cleansing. And I don't think that was, it wasn't as in the front of the film as maybe Alan Moore had it in from what I, again, what I understand from my research in his, in his original book, kind of, you know, the third Reich cleansing of the, the world and all this kind of shit. And so that may have been more of a, a subtle nod to that as opposed to a direct omission. Mm. Um, again, that's speculatory, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully, yeah, they... because they didn't have a lot of like representation in front of the camera. Hopefully, they had it behind the scenes. Maybe they were like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I wasn't on production, and I have no idea. But that is a good point, Troy. That's something that you know I hadn't, I hadn't noticed until you mentioned it. But yeah, like man. I said, I think it was intentional because mm-hmm. yeah. they did. Because every time they had black and brown people, they mm-hmm. were in those kind of like the the scenes where people are being rounded up or in right. the concentration mm-hmm. camp and stuff like in the when they have that line and they're all going for their injections yeah mm-hmm. like i remember a bunch there and like you said like the they made a point of it with the gay couple so yeah i don't know that's kind of how i took it cuz they mm-hmm. made a point of talking about how they like stopped immigration and the flood of people coming in and stuff like that so yeah, I, I well, and I think he's I, meant to be like a Nordic supremacist, right? Like, yeah, like the, the fire or the political stuff, party right? was called like the Norse Fire yeah. political party um, that they had. Like, you mentioned, you mentioned them. Like, what do you think of how I mean, you know, you guys said like they're kind of one note, but like, how do you think they portrayed, um, portrayed the head Adam Chancellor Adam Sutler, um, William Hurt? He was the actor who portrayed him. Do you think he did a good job? Like, do you think he was, you know, menacing or like he, he was kind of, to me, I thought he was kind of terrifying. Like I see him on that big TV. I think Troy, you mentioned like the big brother qualities. Mm. He's like yelling at people, his teeth, like look all, <laughs> I, I know it's like his teeth. I don't know if that was like uh, on purpose or what, but he just like, he just looked so <laughs> like menacing. And then like when he finally is like brought to justice and he's brought to V, he's like the sniveling, cannot you know he's like this like weasel kind of guy that has all his power stripped away from him and i i, I thought i kind of dig that because that's kind of like those like dictator people where you know when they're in power they're all high and mighty but then when they're not they're kind of 
scurrying away. <laughs> what do you guys think of uh, William Hurt and his uh, portrayal of uh, head chancellor, Adam Sutler? Yeah, he, I felt a little bit like one dimensional. I think it was very much like that hip, Hitler portrayal, even down mm-hmm. to the greasy flopping hair when he's screaming and yelling. Yeah. And, and so like, but I think that's the point of it, right? Like he's, he's meant to be this, this dictator, this autocrat that is just fist pounding and, and demanding of, whatever forces in front of him and, and ruling with fear and propaganda. And yeah, it's, he's never the concept of what he represents is menacing, but him as an individual, I never find overly menacing. Like he gets down to the point where they execute him and he's just sniveling little weasel, right? That the, mm-hmm. the guy next in line just finds pathetic, but it's all about that theatric of, of what he's doing and what he's spewing out there, that rhetoric, right? And so I think in that sense, he really nails it. But like as an individual, like you never feel afraid of him. You feel more afraid of the ideology and, and what he represents as opposed to the actual individual. But I think William Hurt, ultimately, he does the job that he needs to do, right? He's that figurehead of this party, and you get the, the double-cross red symbols, which, you know, makes it really feel like, you know, like, again, like Third Reich sort of stuff and... It, it it does what it needs to do. I think him as a character, I think is less meant to be imposing. It's more about like what he represents and what he's supposed to draw on as far as like historically, like we all know, you know, Hitler, the third Reich and all this. And it's just meant to be, I think a fairly close adaptation of that. And you're supposed to extrapolate, I think from that and bring that context into the film where, cause they don't put a ton of work into him. Um, he's just always there, right? And he's he's just always screaming and, and spewing that rhetoric. And I, I think that's what he does and what he's meant to do and it accomplishes that for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he lived up to... I guess he, he portrayed what he was meant to. Like, he did his job. Um, again, I feel like it's just something that came down to the dialogue, the writing, that did him more of a disservice to the actor than actually what happened. Um, I was never really terrified by the individual obviously the idea of what he was doing was was you know it's horrific right but um i don't know maybe i could have been down with a little bit more of his at least his supporting characters like i mentioned before his his henchmen his police Mm -hmm. were had more sides uh weren't so one note because i just again i just felt like the villains were just villains and that was that and i feel like you know even if you were to go back to 2005 2006 we were developing villains far far better than that so I don't know if they took liberties from the comics, whether they're more developed. Well, they were, I guess, right? Um, I did mention before that in the comics, they were more developed. I don't know necessarily about the big bad, if he was, but I know at least the police officers, we saw what they were doing outside of work. So, yeah. I don't know, man. He was like a on-the-nose <laughs> Hitler caricature. Like, yeah. what do you yeah. want me to say? It was like, yeah, yeah it, it is what it is. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, oh, we want to sell this guy as being Hitler. So what should we do? Yeah, just make him Hitler. Hitler. Make him Hitler. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Short yeah, of the was... uh, like little tiny mustache, you pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But he even kind of had it. Like, yeah, he... yeah, <laughs> from yeah. a distance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just need to put an armband on him, and off you go. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like Troy was alluding, they could have maybe put a bit more work into rounding him out, and yeah. like he was basically like the Hitler skull from Bionic Commando. Yeah. <laughs> well, like... you take a movie like um, what do you call it? The Mockingbird movies, whatever they called. Uh, oh, Hunger Games. Uh, Hunger yeah. Games. And well, they work. They... Yeah, they work. They put into President Snow. Yeah, 
like in that, a character like that. And yeah, they did have four movies to develop him and all that, but you, you could see him like you, you want to believe in like, if you're going to truly portray an antagonist beyond the ideology, you have to get behind the, the actual person that is the leader. And I think they, someone like president snow in that, that just pops into my head as someone that they did reasonably well. And yep, made you believe, like you were afraid of that character, right? Or yep. him to the bitter end. Yep. And you kind of always get this guy's kind of just like a pathetic weasel yeah. that just, you know, said the right things at the right moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get to the end of the film and we have this like crescendo of like everything that happened before kind of, you know, is important. And it, you know, it comes up at the end and V, you know, he goes through, he kills, um, he kills Adam Sutler and, uh, he ends up killing a second in command, um, Mr. Creedy. And, you know, he leaves up the choice to Natalie Portman's character, Evie, if she wants to blow up Parliament or not. Like, he's dying. He's going to die. And he said, you know, the choice is yours because I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Tomorrow there's a new day. You know, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, so I'm leaving the choice in your hands. And right when she's about to pull it, you know, she gets stopped by the detective or the police chief who we've kind of following through the film, who's trying to, you know, solve the mystery. And, um, so, you know, he lets her go ahead and pull the, pull the lever and then the train goes and blows up parliament. And then you see all the people with the V mask come out and, um, walk onto parliament there. To me, the ending worked. Like I, th- I thought it was great. Like it was this great, I mentioned crescendo. It was like this great, like everything just kind of came together and ended. Um, And it really like hits home for me. Did you guys dig the ending? Like, were you, did it, did it land for you as well? Or were you just kind of like, let's end this thing. Let's get home. Uh, (laughs) It didn't really land. Like, what are your thoughts, uh, Carlos on the ending? Yeah, man, I dug it. Like I, I dug the fact that he lets her choose because he's like, well, tomorrow's for you it's not for me to decide which is kind of a theme that's been coming up in politics and certainly like british politics with brexit and stuff like that so i thought that that was interesting that the the choice of your protagonist is left in the hands of somebody who he's not completely confident is going to do what he's planning to do but he feels that it's not his choice to make because he's Mm -hmm. leaving it to the generation that um, is going to have to live with the consequences of his action. And I, I liked how you saw the chief inspector have a complete journey from being embedded in the party to kind of coming to the thinking that a revolution needs to occur. And the, the whole part with the citizenry donning the V masks and standing up to the armed security response was awesome. Like it just, it just cool imagery kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, who knows what would happen in real life, but in that it almost feel it, well, and they kind of take it to a heightened reality where you see like characters that, you know, who are, are passed on underneath the V masks and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, it was a neat statement and cool imagery and it, it was done really well. I, I dug the ending of this movie. Nice. Nice. Troy the boy, what are your thoughts on uh, the ending? Yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't got much on the ending. Um, I mean, like I mentioned before, so the fight scene with V, it was, it was a okay send off for the character, and then, um, do we get that music, that score when they, when they, when she blows it up, when it blows up? Yeah, I think yeah. it's the same 
isn't it the same song from the beginning the uh what is it the 1812 overture yeah yeah like crescendos and then like yeah. the cannons go off and that's when like the building blows yeah yeah you know so sorry to sidetrack that's that's another thing i want to get to um the score the score for me i kind of felt like the music was cheesy when that went off um i didn't i didn't really quite get the tone that they're trying to set with like that whole music that song choice when mm-hmm. the explosions went off um so that kind of threw me out and then when they, they went back to it i was just like uh okay so anyways it's a flat score like it never it's very flat it's almost like a commercial right like it's i couldn't tell you one note from the like like thematically or anything in the back of the score in general yeah 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 Yeah, the score in general is very flat very very flat um but i guess just for those themes with the explosions it just didn't quite work for me uh to get to your ending point though too it, it it was it was okay if I, I gotta be honest, at that point I was just kind of like, yeah, let's let's wrap it up a little bit. Oh yeah. man, just hearing that, I don't think I found your G spot. Yeah. I think I missed it a bit. <laughs> v spot, dude. Yeah, I missed your V spot, man. man. I missed it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like, it's, it's, well, no, no, it's okay. We'll save save your final right. recommendations right. or things. Uh, Timbo. Yeah, uh, man. Like in- I, I think it worked for the film that was put in front of us. Um, it. I like the fact that it was put down to. Now the important to make the decision, and and Troy, maybe you're better to answer this question. For having not seen this for 15 years, there was really a part of me that thought the cop was involved in it the whole time, like that he was kind of helping him out. Like, and I thought that he was going to reveal oh. that, like, yeah, yeah, at the end, like, yeah, I know what's going on here. Push the lever. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he lets it happen because he realizes what's going on, and yeah, like you said, Carlos, he has this journey where he slowly realizes what's happening and what has happened, especially with St. Mary's and all that. And he has that, that moment where he makes the decision to let her pull it. But there's a real part of me that was like, is he in on this the whole time? Has he been helping him? And that's why he's been so successful in, you know, and being one step ahead of the security the whole time. Um, and either way, I think I could have been fine with if he was helping him or if he's not it, I think it makes it, much more of a feat that that v did this all on his own for the most part okay yeah but ultimately yeah i think it ends the way it should end i think it would have been like a disappointment if he didn't blow up the parliament and didn't <laughs> actually have that moment um, yeah. unless they replaced it with something that was uh more impactful from natalie portman's end but i think i think it's cool and he's on the on the tube that ends up in parliament and it ends in a way where it's really the beginning right for for the revolution it's it's not mm-hmm. so much the end of it it is really the explosive start of of the revolution and there's a whole story afterwards right about yeah. what happens next and i find that you know in movies like this you have you know they, they try to wrap it up but revolutions don't start and end in one night <laughs> you know it was probably pretty bloody and pretty bad for for quite some time after this <laughs> it's not this this buttoned up happy ending these revolutions can go for decades so it yeah. uh i think it ends in the way it needs to and it ends on a note that leaves you inspired in some ways and it makes you think right mm-hmm. um especially in the times that we're living in it, it still has that ability to to make you extrapolate and think and and reflect and I think it all works for me. You know, the end they delivered here is the end that I think this film needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this... the sorry, go ahead, Carlos. I was gonna say they gave him like this cool quasi Viking funeral. Yeah. With him <laughs> yeah. going off in the tube to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very Nordic, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, they mentioned that. Uh, well, the 
detective. Like at the beginning, when um, they're having like their meeting, and at the end they all say like England prevails, and uh, you can see that the detective was just like, yeah, whatever, like England prevails. Like yeah. you know, he doesn't he doesn't truly believe in the party, but he's there, so you can kind of see that he's been wrestling in internally what he should be doing throughout the whole film and i think at the end he kind of realizes like this is the right thing to do go ahead and i'm not gonna stop you well and like that's why i thought he was part of it because i felt like the struggle was like do i tell him because he's like yeah it's gonna be a train for sure they're like no no it's coming from the air there's no way well, get he it mentioned the he wrote in the book he wrote a report saying it was coming from the train yeah, but no one I, listened to him <laughs> and that's why i was like he's got to know more like I don't know. It's just, it felt like, and I'm fine with it the way it is, but it just, there's part of me that was like, he knows more. Like he knows what's up. Yeah. Like the fact that he just kind of dropped that, like it, it's, it's going to be trained. No, it's not. We sealed those up <laughs> decades ago. Yeah. And, ah, here it comes. <laughs> well, you mentioned the train. It's kind of funny because Batman Begins came out a year prior. And in that film, the climax of the film, the villain, Raja Ghoul wants to take the train and blow up. Was it Wayne Tower? So he wants to use yeah. the train to blow up a symbol of Gotham to really like crumble and cripple Gotham and, you know, take it off the map. Well, Whereas no, in v... he was going to poison everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> he was going to get the water. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, whereas in V, like the hero or the and the protagonist, he's using a train to blow up Parliament. And it's like we're cheering for him. But then in the other one, we're cheering for Batman to stop him. <laughs> I thought it was kind of kind of interesting. Now, different scenario. Gotham, you know, is much different than this it's, fascist it's, it's... Britain it's always interesting when you find yourself on that side of things, right? Like it's the way a movie can make you sympathize or a TV show can make you sympathize with a character that, you know, in some forms and some perspectives is branded a terrorist. It's like watching sons of anarchy and cheering for the biker guys. It's like, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm. this, I think is, it definitely leans much more into making V the sympathetic, empathetic protagonist, right? That he's doing the right thing. It leans enough into, the antagonist of the film, which is is definitely the the ideology, that you sympathize one hundred percent for what he's doing, like the mm -hmm. people he kills, the the blowing up of stuff, like you don't blink when he does it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah, you're right. And you know they talk about that even in the film with the media and how like you can like portray like they have that like one cutaway scene. Was it Storm Saxon? The like the TV show on like the camera that the security guards watching. In the scene, you see like this like caricature of like this like Muslim guy that's like a terrorist that's like attacking that woman, and she's like, "Oh, save me, Storm Saxon!" Right? And it's just like the power of like the media and like how they can sway people's thinking, and how you know the Norse party in the film was using that to sway their thinking. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because today at work, we someone presented a, sa a safety moment. Um, this is going somewhere, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and the the number one way that uh, North Americans are killed is heart disease, right? It's like somewhere upwards of 40% of people die from heart disease. But you look at what the media reports and and like terrorism is like less than a percent of how people die. Mm -hmm. But the media, the way they report things, it's inverse of that. It's like 2% yeah. of the reports are on heart disease. 30 plus percent of the reporting is on, on terrorism. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but like, so people are terrified of terrorism because the media has put that in their head, but no one concentrates on heart disease, which <laughs> is the number one part of the plan. Yes. <laughs> but no, heart disease <laughs> is the number one killer, like on the planet. Yeah. And, but it's like, 
especially when this film came out. Like, you go back to 2006, man. Islamophobia, it's not much better now. But, Mm -hmm. like, it was, like, top of mind coming out of of 9-11 and the London 2 Mm -hmm. bombings. And I'm I'm not trying to put any of that to the background, but it does show the effect of the media and what this was representing, right? Like, that is top of mind for people through most of the 2000s. So oh, it, it, oh. it's interesting that well, and we're still seeing that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. Unfortunately, that's um, why you come here for the real news. <laughs> you don't want any of that fake news stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we wrap things up and give our final thoughts, is there anything else you guys want to touch on? Like any, any themes or any, any scenes in particular or characters that I miss touching on? Do you guys, you guys got anything you want to bring up? No, man, I, I think we, we gave this a, a good retrospective look wholeheartedly, kind of touched on all the key characters, and thematically, I think we, we really got there. And there's there's some not easy conversations to have here. Um, yeah. And some, you know, subjects that are are touchy in some some spaces. So, you know, this, is, this has been a great conversation. Really, really enjoy this. All right, so we're going to wrap up here. Final thoughts. Would you recommend this film? Um, and did you, did you, well, I mean, if you enjoyed it, you'd probably recommended it. Um, so give us your final wrap up thoughts. Um, we'll save Troy for last so we can, you know, really build that suspense. If I can really help him out and, or if I'm going to swing and a miss here, uh, before we go on, I'm just going to, I'll, I'll share my final thoughts. Um, you probably already know, I love this film to me. This film is amazing. It's spectacular. It, it ages like a fine wine. Like, and it's so like inspirational. You look at the Occupy Wall Street mo- uh, movement. You saw people wearing Guy Fox masks. Um, you look after the latest election that happened two weeks ago. This film was trending on Twitter. Like it still has uh, relevance today, and it's 14 years old, and it continues to add its relevance. And I'd say it's even more relevant than when it came out, and because I think it's even better than when it came out. So for me, slam dunk, no brainer. You have to check this out. If I was giving this a grade out of 10, I'd probably give it a 12 because it had extra credit and it nailed it. So um, for me, if you haven't seen this film, do yourself a favor. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Um, We'll go with Tim and then we'll go Carlos and then we'll wrap it up with the Troisky. Yeah, like this this to me is a a full recommend from this side of the table. It, It ages well, and I don't know if that's a good thing to be honest with you <laughs> thematically <laughs> i don't I, I think that might show that maybe we've gone backwards or we haven't progressed at all but i think some of the themes you see in here and and i i think some of those themes age have aged with me because i i get them more now right i think this movie is much more appropriate for me at this age than it was when i was in my early 20s and maybe that's why i appreciate it more now and i i think it, it works all of this works for me um, Hugo Weaving stand out in this for sure. And I think the, the overall, you know, gross inclusion and, and diversity that we do see, maybe not directly on screen, but through the themes that they, they do show, I think it, it's done well. Um, they, they touch on the moments, and they touch on the themes that they need to, to make this an impactful movie that, that does live on. Like I said, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't probably isn't <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this is, it's a good thing to watch. Good thing to watch now. Um, it, it might be a scary thing to watch now and, and not the, uh, you know, Tim penis pants type way, but in uh, the real <laughs> world sense of, of the, of the themes that we do see in here. But, but ultimately, yeah, I think especially right now, 
you know, we've gone through November the 5th just recently, and that was uh, hot off the heels of uh, of what's going on right now in south of us. So this 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 movie will will I definitely think you'll connect with it in in many different ways. So it's it's for sure worth a watch. Yeah, I have to echo what you guys have said. Um, yeah, like in in fairness, it's a early two thousands movie that kind of trips on a few of the tropes with being a follow-up to the matrix and Batman begins and, and those type of things. But at the same time, if you take it from a thematic and a character perspective, it's got some unfortunately very timely things to it. And quite frankly, I think the movie plays better now than it even did back then. And I don't know if it's just the, the benefit of age, but, but certainly with what we've just Mm -hmm. seen, like, you could unfortunately have remade this movie last year and put real world people into those <laughs> scenarios and off You're you go far kind off the of mark, thing. man. <laughs> yeah. So man, it's, it, it's definitely well worth the watch and there's a real humanity to it that you don't get in a lot of movies. And certainly you don't really get in comic book movies but this thing has it in droves. And if just for that, if just for V and what he's fighting for and the journey that people in the population go through, um, whether seen or implied, makes it worth like the short of two hours that you're going to take to watch this movie. So, yeah, check it out. It gets a recommend from me. All right, Troy, no pressure on your shoulders, but we're three for three here. Oh, man. Can you yeah. make it a clean sweep or let, let's hear it? Yeah, well, you know, um, I, I, I give it a recommend. I think everybody should go out there and Oh, watch, thank watch, goodness. Oh, man, watch, okay. Watch. I was just about to delete your contact <laughs> off my phone. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think everyone should go out there and watch this film. Um, I think the themes are definitely resonate in today's society, 100%. Um, I think there's a good screenplay underneath this whole film. I feel though, as an actual movie, it's not very good. But like, the, yeah, no, the message is fine. I actually really want to go back and read the comic. To mm-hmm, be honest, me too. I really want to see what that comic's about because I just feel like, yeah, man, the acting for for me, 2005, 1995, whatever. It the acting wasn't that great in my opinion. I think Hugo Weaving was fine. The score was extremely flat. The sets felt like sets. Uh, this Small. is London. Yeah. small this is london and like london new york new york japan like though tokyo right they feel like characters in any film and yeah. definitely wasn't present throughout this film um so there was definitely some lackluster moments um i don't want to go back to the fighting choreography because that's not really anything you should really be counting on in this film but when you look at things and you know it's been a while since i've gone back to the matrix but i really do feel like the fight choreography was just weak and it really made it show its age in this film mm-hmm. because it's trying to do the things that the matrix were doing and it just it just didn't look good um it, it kind of took me out of the film to be honest but um yeah but like i mentioned the message the whole message is important which is why i recommend this film and maybe it'll encourage people to go read the book and, I, and i'm advocating for the book and i haven't even read the book because i think there must be something <laughs> there so i am definitely going to make it on my list for 2020 man i do want to go and actually read this book by alan moore and then see what it's all about because i think like i mentioned i feel like there's a cool screenplay script somewhere along the lines in this film i just don't feel like it's a great film I would actually really like to, to be revisited someday. I would like to see a fresh coat of paint with 
an experienced director, man. I really feel like that hurt this film. Like, I really feel like you having like, your first time director on something like this just didn't do it justice. It didn't reach its full potential for me. Yeah. That's what so I, I guess we could say it got you maybe halfway there. Well, you did. Yeah. I mean, I recommended yeah. it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you to run, run head for the hills. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's better than Shazam. So, like, I'm slowly getting you there. So, the next film I recommend, you're gonna, you're gonna like kind of love like three quarters, and then the one after that, you're just gonna be like, damn it, Sanjay, you finally, finally knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah. Well, you're going patterns, right? Because I think you did what Green Lantern, and you did Shazam. Oh, that's true. I did the Green Lantern comic, and then I did Shazam. Yeah. And then I did Ninja Turtles. Turtles got you know Turtles. Yeah, man. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's, so, that's what a good recommendation. So you're gonna. I think waste maybe one of these other two guys should recommend Sanji. the next thing for Troy. Recommend. We vibe, man. Like it's just everything. <laughs> this guy. He surpassed me with McFarland collecting now. Man, <laughs> you say that now, but I thought we vibed, and then I started making recommends. It's kind of like, you know, like you have like a friend that's like in your inner circle, and you're like friends and you start dating and then you just find out you guys don't really vibe like you don't work as a couple but you work as friends so what i'm kind of figuring out right now with troy is like yeah, man, you're in the friend zone yeah we, we were friend zoned each other <laughs> no, like, because we couldn't, like we couldn't... you were vibing and things were going good and then you're like hey uh, there's something i'd like to try out if you're willing <laughs> I, I, I wanted <laughs> i want to change you. on it <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't have put labels on it that was the problem was that we put labels <laughs> on it. we should just let a relationship be natural and you know just have no no boundaries but unfortunately uh troy i, I pressured you into committing um and you know what it just it just didn't work and, I, and i'm sorry that these things just don't work man there's someone for everyone there's someone for everyone. yeah there's plenty of and, movies you know, I, the and I got you right because because there's beast machines beast wars beasties we're That's good true. and yeah. um and I think I was fighting harder for you than you were in your own Twitter battle about Pokemon stuff. Like, I actually was <laughs> yeah, like, that's true. you know, so. I mean, yeah, you left big... you hanging there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was waiting right, to see guys. how he would come on for V for Vendetta. Now that I see that he's on this side of the fence, I'm not going to, like, back him up. But, uh... <laughs> uh, Sonny, this is, this is great, man. I'm glad you brought this to, to the table here this week. I think it, yeah. it was a great discussion, a lot of fun with this, and something that uh, – that, is a little different from the stuff that we usually review. And I think this is, is very good, very timely. And given the fact that we're likely not to see another comic book movie in uh, theaters for quite some time now, it, uh, it it was very fun and very appropriate. And can't wait to do more of these guys, these retrospective looks. And um, Sonny, man, thanks for leading this conversation. You did uh, fantastic here. Yeah, it, uh, it was fun for me sitting uh, sitting back here and providing some color commentary around stuff and, and letting, you, uh, letting you run the show. So it's been great, guys. And... Guys, we're gonna be I'm back. Loving watching you sweat. I could, I could see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was expecting Tim to like take the conversation a completely different way that I always do. So we'd end up talking about I don't know, like popsicles or something. When that was to... a missed opportunity. Yeah, Tim, uh, like you, you had free Tim. reign, and you just uh, I would have had to been the one to rein yeah. you in. But well, I, well you know, Sunny like... editing this one because I think if you if you were editing this one, then it would yeah. Been <laughs> yeah, you want to edit, but <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's a pretty clean episode. <laughs> Guys, we're gonna we're gonna be back next week. For sure. That's one thing you can count on every Thursday. Nerd Room is in your ears. And we'll be back with everything Stars Marvel DC and beyond. Looks like hopefully we'll get some uh, maybe WandaVision news. We've definitely got some Mandalorian coverage. And we got to pick up here on some of that collecting toy talk 
of course, you know, Mando Monday's been big and it's, it's going to continue to roll here as we get down to the end of the year too, guys. We got to start looking at our, our nerdier resolutions, what this year has been. It's been a, a wild, crazy, different year. But we're going to be summing it all up here in just about a month's time here, talking everything that we looked back on. And then looking forward into 2021, it's still a very, very interesting and very uncertain year. But uh, needless to say, we're still going to be here having fun, bringing the positivity to the nerd world. So, guys, if you'd like to be a bigger part of this show, you can always email us at thenerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. Instagram guys, the NerdRM on Instagram. We've got all kinds of stuff going out there periodically from all of our collections. And uh, of course, we'll be throwing stuff up there from this episode as well. I'll throw up a little image of uh, the little yellow bug here and you guys can tell us what and how and if you had that thing. And guys, for those that, that shared on, on Twitter this past week, Darth Goody, you know, um, insert 416. Yeah, 416. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, 416 yeah. representing TO there. You know, everything guys are throwing up. I love seeing your collections, love seeing what you're doing. So make sure to tag us in those things. You hashtag we the nerd or just tag us directly or put it in uh, the pinned tweet at the nerd RM on Twitter there for this week's episode. Let us know what you guys picked up. And again, you know, guys, it's been fantastic. Big shout out to our man, Rob Wade, for endorsing this podcast on March 2014. Head over there and check out everything that he is doing. With all that being said, guys, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Batman, my lady. And, uh... <laughs> I, no, I thought fine. you were done. I thought you were done, man. I'm sorry. I just, oh, man. I, came I had in, to like, get the Milady in there. Oh, man. No. Cast her as Catwoman and see what happens. I'm telling you. My lady. <laughs> <laughs> Sanjay, send us out for the week, my dude. And I. And Sanjay. Ah, there it is. All right, guys. Thank you very much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.